My name is Mark Millen, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. On Shriver. Snyder with scores! Now it's Frank Pinnell scores! Hands off for Rabel, switches hands and scores! Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson! Mark Millen with a left-hander, and he scores. The all-time leading point scorer in the MLL. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk, the voice of Pro Lacrosse. I'm Hutton, he's Adam, together we're bringing you interviews with your favorite players and coaches, as well as news from all four professional lacrosse leagues. Welcome to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. I'm Hutton, he's Adam, and today we're joined by lacrosse great and former pro Mark Millen. Mark's resume includes his four-year career at UMass, as well as being a member of Team USA for the 1994 and 1998 World Championships. He also had lengthy careers in the NLL and the MLL, winning professional championships in both leagues. Mark, welcome to the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to kind of talk your, your whole career, you know, starting where you grew up in Huntington, New York. Uh, so we'll start there first. Obviously, Long Island is one of the largest hotbeds for lacrosse. Tell us when did you first get involved in the game of lacrosse? When did you first, you know, get a stick in your hand? Yeah. So, um, you know, you look at Long Island and right now it's, you know, for the last 20 years or so, it's it's more great players come out of Long Island, I think, than anywhere. It's just it's probably just the fact. I reside in Baltimore now and a lot of good guys coming out of Baltimore, Philly, upstate New York, New England, but Long Island is kind of the leader still. Um, when I was growing up, you know, it wasn't, you know, just because I was growing up in the late 70s, um, early 80s, it wasn't quite as much of a hotbed. There just wasn't as many kids playing, obviously. Um, I have kind of a funny story I've told before, and I hope it doesn't get too tiring, but um, I was playing baseball, and I was really, really into baseball. And I was playing on all, like, the uh, the Williamsport teams. I was playing on a team. We were probably, like, five games away from the Little League World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad was a high school teacher at Syosset, which is, you know, has really, even back then, was kind of more of a hotbed than Huntington. And he came home one day and he said, hey, uh, John Pappas, who's the lacrosse coach here, said that I should get you guys lacrosse sticks. You should play some lacrosse for me and my brother. So me and my brother were like, yeah, we, you know, we see a lot of lacrosse in the neighborhood. So we weren't playing on any real teams, but a lot of the boys in our neighborhood, we had a big neighborhood and they were all running around with lacrosse sticks. And so we got a little bit exposed to it. We thought it was fun to mess around with the sticks. Mm-hmm. So we said, sure, dad, bring us home a stick. And he ends up bringing us home two long poles. And we only saw short sticks in our neighborhood. We really hadn't watched lacrosse on TV yet or anything. So we didn't know anything about what the hell a long pole was. <laughs> so we went in the garage and my brother took the lead and just grabbed a hacksaw and just cut it right in half. My dad walked in and was like, oh my God, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and he's like, you know, we lived on a pretty modest income growing up. Both my parents were teachers. My mom wasn't even teaching at the time. And so he was pretty rattled and, uh, but that's the start we got. That was, you know, that's kind of where we started in, in our neighborhood. And then we liked it enough. We went to a lacrosse camp called Portledge Lacrosse Camp, which was in like, I think it was in uh, Port Washington area. And um, some of the USA guys were there, like Brendan Schneck, um, just some kind of superstars in the uh, in the game at the time. So that was the start. Me and my brother kind of fell in love there and then, you know, played a little bit more baseball after that and then went all, all in on lax. 
That's awesome. And obviously, after uh, your time in Huntington, you headed uh, to UMass, where you played for legendary coach Dick Garber. And you've mentioned in, in past interviews that guys like Sal Acasio, Tim Sudan, who we actually just had on the show last week, uh, really drew you uh, to UMass. Talk me through your decision to, to head up there and, and play for UMass. Yeah, so I was getting recruited. I, uh, you know, one regret I have, I tell I have two young sons now, um, a 15 and a 13 year old. And I tell them that, you know, academics are so important. And I explain how many more doors open up um, if you're a good lacrosse player. And mm-hmm. unfortunately I had, you know, not the greatest grades, not terrible, but some of my doors were closed. I kind of originally wanted to go to Carolina, um, my high school buddy and teammate, Bill Day, who ended up going to North Carolina, we kind of wanted to go there together. And I went on a recruiting trip. Um, I'll never forget being in Coach Simmons' car. He picked me up at the airport. I went to Syracuse. and So I was really kind of looking at a, a lot of schools. And then I went to UMass on my recruiting trip, and I just fell in love. I mean, I just fell in love. The uh, it's, it's a really intimate, you know, kind of cool campus and, mm-hmm. and the city, in the town of Amherst. Um, is really cool. The culture on the lacrosse team at that time, I thought was incredible. And, you know, the location of the playing field right in the center of campus, it's now called Garber Field. Just kind of the whole thing, the whole mojo just made me fall in love. And then, and then Dick Garber was, you know, he just was a legend and all the alumni that went there and played for him to this day kind of, you know, refer to him as a father figure. He passed, he passed, uh, died in, probably like 94 or so but he was an incredible guy and then the culture on the team was great and the area was really cool and you know and then the the kind of final piece for me was I did the research and looked at the guys and looked at the the guys that were coming back and where the team had been um to the playoffs in the last couple years and I really felt that um we had a chance to do some really special things and I just thought it was going to be really cool to go to a school that had never been to a Final Four rather than go to a school that goes to every Final Four, like a So I was probably closest to going to Syracuse. And, uh, you know, so that was really, you know, kind of all in. That's what made me choose UMass. No, that's awesome. And you had a terrific career there. And then, you know, following UMass, you uh, played for Team USA in 94, um, you know, fresh out of college. Uh, and then in 98 as well, winning world championships in both. Um, in your first time making the team, you were one of the youngest members of the team at age 23, um, and you were named MVP of the games. Talk us through making that team. Um, you know, how difficult was it? You know, I think there was around 120 you know, players trying out, and um, how special was it to make that team and represent your country? Well, I mean, that's a great question, how special was it? Because um, anytime people ask me about what was your most special lacrosse experience, they expect it to be you know, one of the championships or I won or some kind of, you know, personal accolade. But growing up, one of the things as I started to fall in love with lacrosse, you know, after putting down the baseball glove and stuff, I had a Team USA poster on my wall. And so that kind of became my goal. And all through high school and college, I just wanted to play for Team USA so bad. There was no pro league and, you know, that was the pinnacle of the sport. And in some ways, I think guys still look at it that way today. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to freshman out of college, I was playing really good lacrosse at the time, and um, I'll just never forget getting the phone call um, that I made the team, and it was really to this day the, the most special moment I've ever had. And making it a second time was obviously great too, 
that that carried a special circumstance because the games were in the United States. But uh, it was an incredible experience being able to wear the red, white, and blue. And it was really cool to be one of the younger players on the team. And um, some of the leaders were Steve Mitchell, who played at Hopkins, and John D. Tommaso, and uh, Vinny Sombrato, and Petro. And so to be one of the younger guys on the team, Mike Morrill, whose son played at Yale, uh, Jackson. Um, it was really just an incredible experience. The games in 1994 were in Manchester, England, so that carried kind of a unique thing. A lot of us hadn't traveled overseas and or to Europe, um, to the U.K., and uh, it was just really an incredible, incredible experience, one of the best I've ever had in a game. That's fantastic. And, you know, yeah, you didn't stop playing there kind of around that same time when you suited up for Team USA. You found yourself in the box game a little bit. You had a really lengthy indoor career and are considered one of the best Americans to ever suit up indoor. Uh, how did you get introduced to the box game? Obviously, it's it's a lot different um, than the outdoor game and, and uh, pretty hard-hitting comparison um, at that time when it was the MILL. So talk us through uh, your, your introduction to the indoor game. So, um, first of all, I, uh, I, growing up on the, in the Long Island area, the Saints were up there. Um, and I'm pretty sure, like, when I was in high school, well, I know for a, uh, the Saints were not playing out of the Nassau Coliseum. They okay. were playing out of the Brendan Byrne Arena in New Jersey. So, like, junior or senior year, me and my buddies drove over and, and watched the Saints play at Brendan Byrne. And that was really the only pro league going at the time. Mm-hmm. And, I knew that I wanted to do something, you know, in, in the business side of lacrosse, but I also knew that I was, you know, I loved the sport and I was playing pretty well. So it was a no-brainer being exposed to that league. And I said, you know, I, I really want to do this. I want to play mm-hmm. pro lacrosse. So it was, uh, it was great. It was a great experience. I, you know, the guys who play today usually grow up with at least some exposure. Like if you're a guy coming out of college – now, I mean, some of the guys play it religiously, but I would say everybody has played at least some. Mm-hmm. So, but for me, my first time inside the boards was like with all the the pro guys. So it definitely was a learning experience, and I had to I had to really become a student of the game. I consulted with the best guys. I talked to Gary Gate a bunch about scoring, and just kind of immersed myself in the game and tried to understand. I wanted to understand it better. That's awesome, and and yeah, obviously we're we're able to do that. And I actually uh, just got finished watching that 2001 championship where you helped uh, lead the wings over the Toronto Rock um, in the NLL Cup. You had three goals in that one. Talk us through uh, that game a little bit. I know it's a little bit uh, in the past now, but you had three goals, and that was one of the biggest bigger upsets in NLL Cup history. Oh my gosh! So you've done a lot of research on that. <laughs> great. I mean, seriously, great job. I mean, that game was, uh, I mean, it gives me goosebumps because that game, you know, when I said my greatest overall experience was being named to Team USA, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that game is definitely top five. It was, for me, it was probably one of the best games I'd ever played, not because I had six goals and five assists, but mm-hmm. um, just, you know, did a bunch of stuff to help the team. Mm-hmm. And, and that was important because that was the ultimate team effort. I mean, we yeah. went into Toronto that night and, you know, I don't know, there was probably no odds in Vegas, but we probably had to be – Toronto had won the last two championships. Yep. It was in their building. There was 19,000 people. We probably would have been six, eight-goal underdogs. 
and every single guy on our team did their job, whether it was a face-off guy, a defensive guy, uh, Dallas in the goal, yep. uh, Tommy Marichak, Jake Berge, uh, J.J. Albert was on that team. Everybody did their job, and, you know, we shocked the world. I mean, we really did. We won 9-7. Yep. And uh, it was just an unbelievable game. But I can't believe you took the time to watch that. That's cool. Yeah, that, that, that was a great one. And I, um, so I'm originally from Philly. So I remember watching that. I was like, I was like nine years old at the time. So I, I remember vividly uh, that game on TV. And they showed it on Comcast Sportsnet. And it was the Toronto Rock feed from Comcast. So the, the announcers of that game are, are such homers for Toronto. And they were stunned the whole time, especially when you guys took that big lead early. Stunned. Done. That was just yeah. cool. Everything top to bottom when we returned to Philly. Um, I mean, it's, you know, really probably the most I've ever felt like a big time pro athlete. When we flew back to Philly that morning, there was, you know, I don't know the numbers. There was a couple hundred people yeah. there, though, to greet us. And it was really special. That was a, that was a really special game. No, that's great. And you had a, a great career in the NLL, and you had a, a solid career in the MLL as well. But that didn't really come around until 2001. So leading up to that, you know, you played for the United States Club Lacrosse Association. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how it was kind of a precursor to pro field lacrosse. Yeah, so um, when you were a college graduate and you were um, back then in, in the uh, late 80s and 90s, some guys did, a small percentage of guys did go on and play, you know, professional indoor box. Um, but there was such a strong appetite. You know, we all know that lacrosse is like the ultimate life sport, you know. So when you, when you graduate, you don't stop playing. So all the elite, elite players played in the U.S. CLA, which is the U.S. Club Lacrosse Association. And, you know, over time, now we think of club in a little bit lower regard because club is so synonymous with little kids and young kids playing. And then also there's college clubs. So, I wish it had a different name in hindsight, but this was pro lacrosse Mm -hmm. Um, and it was the best of the best. And uh, the championships, I tell people all the time, my first year out of college was, uh, was the 94 U S club lacrosse championship. And um, we played, I was playing for you for long Island lacrosse club at the time. And we had Matt Panetta and uh, the Sombrados and Dito and Sal Lacasio was our goalie and, Mm -hmm. It was just the who's who, and, and then um, the other team, Mount Washington, had Todd Curry and Rob Shack and uh, Petro, and so me and Petro matched up in that game, and so it was it was the real deal. It was it was basically pro lacrosse without you know without fancy social media and you know fancy uniforms and uh, big you know legit venues, but it was just it was as legit as lacrosse, uh, pro lacrosse is today. Speaking of, the, the next iteration of pro lacrosse was Major League Lacrosse starting in 2000. Uh, and won in, so you played with the Bayhawks for a majority of your career and got that first championship under your belt in 2003. What was it like uh, winning that first outdoor title? Yeah, that was special. And if I backtrack just a little bit. Sure, the, absolutely. The, uh, the, it was really special in 2000. You know, most people that follow lacrosse know the summer showcase. And yep. Um, yep. that's when, you know, you know, every top guy played, we played in six cities and, you know, we really felt like we were pioneers. I mean, we we're getting paid and it was field lacrosse and there, we were playing in really good venues in Columbus. We played where the Columbus crew, I don't know if they're still called the Columbus crew, yep, but, they are. and so that was really special. Obviously, the, you know, the, the further your career goes on, the more you want to win championships. So we played in the first championship 
I just put on my Instagram last week, the first championship was, I think, the 01 championship, and um, we ended up losing. I blew my ankle out horrifically in the semifinal game. Um, but then to go out and come back and, and beat the same team we had lost to, the Lizards, and yep. um, it was it was great. It was special. It was a real special time. I mean, there was a lot of really good lacrosse, really great players, really good camaraderie with all the guys. So it was it was a special time. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, it, speaking of 2003, I think I burned through two or three of those 2003 Warrior Exposure DVDs. That was like I had that on loop in my parents' house for over and over again between you and Greg Catrano and Jesse Hubbard and those videos. That that's kind of what I grew up on. So th- I went through a lot of those. Yeah, that was really well done. That was yeah. a, a Jalbert production, I think. Yep. Jay Jalbert's group yep. uh, company produced that back at the time and. You know, lacrosse hadn't seen stuff like that yet, and uh, it was it was innovative and just really good footage and really compelling stuff. So, yeah. But um, so after uh, your your stint with the BayHawks, you went on to play for the Cannons, then the BayHawks and the Lizards again, and stepped away uh, in 2007 as the league's uh, all-time leading scorer. However, you did make a comeback uh, in 2013 with the Rattlers. What really provoked you to make that uh, jump back to the pros again? Basically, uh, and, and then the year I played with the Cannons was yep. was pretty pretty amazing. That was awesome. a very special year too. We had an incredible team. I won't even get into some of the details. That season kind of uh, stalled on us a little bit. We finished ten and two, yep. and the BayHawks finished ten and two. We were hoping to match up with them in the finals, but we ended up playing the Lizards in our last reg or second to last regular season game mm-hmm. and our last regular season oh, game, wow. and in the first round of the playoffs. And you're not going to – we ended up beating them the last two games, and then they beat us in the finals. Anytime you're playing a great team like they had, Greg Catrano in the goal, and I mean, they were loaded. And uh, so that was – but the Cannons year was really fun. Yeah. Um, as far as coming back, I feel like, you know, one of the things that I always struggled with was that my camp business was – I was running my camp business um, mm-hmm. all summer. So it was on the field, you know, every summer for – those eight years after school or whatever. And, uh, in the hot sun running camps with three, 400 kids. And then I'd have to go out and play a game later in the day or later in the weekend. And I was just kind of burnt out. I probably wasn't like fully ready to walk away in 2007. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I had had my first son in 2004 and he was three and I was just kind of just a little tired and a little burnt out. And I just said, you know, I have a little bit of an itch and I know I can still play. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't. It didn't work out quite the storybook that I was hoping for. I got an unbelievable shape. Uh, as a matter of fact, my my first week of training camp, Kevin Lavelle, who I had played with with the Cannons, mm-hmm. was like, "Dude, you're you're literally not moving any different than you did, you know, a few years ago." And the problem was, I convinced myself that I could play a little bit different style. Mm-hmm. And once I, because I just didn't think I could sustain the speed with with my body holding up. Mm -hmm. And once push came to shove and I'd get on the field, I tried to play my regular style and I just couldn't, my my muscles just couldn't sustain it. So I was getting, I had like a really high hamstring injury that didn't heal. So it just didn't work out. But, you know, I went in, I went all in on it. It just didn't work. Yeah, no, but it was, you know, still, still amazing career, you know, in the MLL. And you mentioned a little bit too, um, you know, the Millen lacrosse camps, uh, let's switch gears and kind of talk about that a little bit. 
Um, you know, when did you start milling lacrosse camps and uh, what kind of got you into coaching the next generation of lacrosse players? Yeah, so um, this summer coming up, I'm not really sure with all that's going on. I'm not sure that we're going to get a chance to uh, operate. We'll have to see what goes on. But this will be my 26th summer running camps. And uh, I started my first summer out of college. Um, Me and my brother put this together. And I just – I knew that when I graduated, you know, most lacrosse players kind of have two distinct career paths that they go towards. And – One of them, um, obviously, there's some other branches, right? Some guys get into medicine and stuff. But you either go into the coaching field or you go into another field like business or medicine or something like that. And I just knew how much I loved lacrosse, and I didn't necessarily at the time want to be a college lacrosse coach. Mm -hmm. So I kind of married in the fact that I wanted to teach lacrosse and I wanted to be around lacrosse a lot. And then also the opportunity to run a business. So that's when I started it. And uh, I'm really proud of where it is. People ask me all the time, like, you know, what are you most proud of with your career? And honestly, playing is great. You get a certain amount of time to do it. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely most proud of the impact I've had off the field with young kids. And, you know, I've had actually over close to 30,000 boys attend my camps Great. And then many more where I went to other people's events or just went to clinics and stuff. So we've been doing it for quite a while, and I'm really proud of all the, you know, all we've done. Yeah, no, that's great. And I was never able to attend the camp, but you know, we mentioned your your videos with Warrior, and um, you know, I want to talk about the offensive wizardry videos too. That was kind of my first exposure because my dad and my uncles both played. They were from Baltimore, but I was living in Michigan at the time when I first started playing in fourth grade. And you know, other than my dad, I didn't really have um any other form of instruction so you were kind of my second form of instruction you know with those videos um and you recently just put them up on youtube now for everybody to see so what kind of provoked you to you know put them up on youtube especially during this time where everyone's kind of inside and um it's kind of a a great time to kind of have that digital instruction yeah so first of all this this wizardry thing you know has literally transcended anything i could have ever imagined imagined it was going to do uh, when I did it in like 2001, my goal was to kind of let people know that I have a brand mm-hmm. other than just being a player. And, you know, people knew I was doing camps and stuff, but I thought it was important visually to say, hey, look, here, I, do a, I do a pretty decent job. I know how to teach the game. Let me put this on video. And it was a way of branding. And mm-hmm. like to this day, we never really made a lot of money on that product because – we spent so much, the guy I did it with, a guy out of DC, um, it, it cost so much money to produce it. And you could see the way it's produced back then, it was ahead of its time. Yeah. So it costs like 50, 60 grand to produce it. I don't know if we ever even um, made our money back, but it's just, it's, it's like a kind of an, just like you guys have said, you watched it. I cannot tell you how many people mm-hmm. over time have said that that's something they used. Um, just this past February, I was down at the University of Maryland, and one of their top players, who I never would have expected this late in 2020, said sure. he watched it growing <laughs> up. So, and then why I put it on YouTube, I just felt like it was, you know, it was the right time. I, I, in my tweet, I said I just didn't have the time and energy to get it all, like, fully digitized and put it on and, and done chapter by chapter. But I thought with what's going on in the country – um, I just thought it was a good time to just throw it up there in, in total. And 
you know, let kids have a chance to, uh, you know, still enjoy it. No, absolutely. I mean, like I said, that was kind of, you know, that was my exposure too. you know, with in Michigan, it was, I remember my dad said, Hey, we're signed you up for lacrosse. And I'm like, okay, like I've seen you play a little bit, but what else? And then, so he, he gave me that video and, you know, I was able to watch that and kind of learn. And it, again, it was, you know, supplemental and that was, you know, a kid living in Michigan at the time, eventually moved to Virginia, which, you know, had a little bit bigger lacrosse presence. But yeah, no, I, I think it, like you said, it kind of transcended um, what you probably ever expected with it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I just think it was a little bit of the perfect storm in that there was an appetite for stuff like that. And there, there wasn't a lot of well-produced, there was some videos, but most of them, were not well produced it was well produced and then i think at least some people knew who i was and then there was an appetite for instruction so it just it just blew up and it's really cool um you know even just the other day when i put it up a lot of people had some really really cool comments back to me just saying that this meant a lot to them so it brought them back to their childhood and all that stuff so very uh very proud of that piece that's great uh, and you, you talked about uh, a current player in, in the college ranks that said, watch that video. Another player uh, that you've come uh, to be pretty close with is Penn State's Grand Men, who attended your camps as a, a younger player. Uh, tell us about uh, your relationship with him and how, how has that grown over the air and how excited are you to see him to play at the next level? Yeah, so it started with Grant in uh, a bunch of years ago. I don't know. I mean, I could do the math. I think he was like seventh or eighth grade, but he came to my Pennsylvania location of my camp two or three times. And uh, he was just a really engaging young man. So, you know, there was 150, 175 kids there, but he was so engaging. He was so passionate about lacrosse and he was quite a good little player too. So I think all the coaches were all drawn to him. Um, And so we sort of developed a relationship over coming to camp for a couple of years and then, that kind of evolved into doing a little bit of uh, individual private work with him. Um, his dad would drive him down here to Baltimore from Philly, and then he attended my Project 9 event that I do with Paul Rabel. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came to that like two or three years, and then the relationship, you know, that, that's a bunch of touch points now. I mean, he sure. came to my camps, he came to Project 9, he came to do some lessons. And then um, what also continued to grow the relationship was as I – as my boys got older, um, he kind of got got more involved and invested in, in those guys as well. So um, it's been fun to watch his career. He's definitely, you know, I, I think it's it's so hard to quantify at this stage who the best of this is or the best of that. But I would say definitely one of the best best college attackmen ever to play for sure. No, absolutely, and it's a shame, you know, the season got cut short. But uh, you know, we're looking forward to watching him. Uh, in the pros this coming summer, hopefully, if, you know, everything goes well. If not, you know, definitely in the future. Um, but uh, that brings us to the question, what are your thoughts on the current pro lacrosse landscape? You know, the NL is thriving. You have uh, two competing men's fields leagues. You know, what what is your kind of perspective on pro lacrosse right now? Well, I mean, the easiest one to answer is the NLL. Um, they're doing a great job. It's a great product. Um, they, they, they do a nice job kind of on all fronts. They treat the players well. I, I assume their attendance is pretty well, does pretty well. And they've been, they're so well branded. Um, so I think big things for the NLL, uh, as we move into the future, um, you know, the, 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 the outdoor leagues are, um, you know, it's a tough call for me because I have very close, uh, relationships and I want to see, uh, I think the PLL is doing an incredible job, 
mm-hmm. the content they're creating, the on-field is, is amazing. The events are great. I'm very close with a lot of the people. Um, and then, you know, there's obviously a, a soft spot in my heart um, for the MLL. And, uh, you know, back in the day, I, I didn't get too into the, 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 the whole deal, but back in the day, because I was working at Warrior and Warrior was a, a, a big contributor in getting that league going, I was on an advisory board in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, honestly, it kind of breaks my heart to see the two leagues competing. I, I want, I would love to see one, and mm-hmm. I would love to see, um, I would love to see one league and have the have to figure out a way for them to all work together. But there's such a big, such a dynamic over time that makes it complicated, and you know, not really rooting for one over the other, but have you know pretty strong relationships yeah. with both of them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And um, you know, like here at Pro Lacrosse Talk, we cover all four leagues because again, there's great players in in all of those leagues. Um, and we're just excited, you know, that there's more lacrosse now on TV and um, at our exposure. You know, it is you know a complicated time with you know competing leagues, but I think as fans, um, you know, we have more lacrosse on, which is I think a good thing in the long run. Yes, for sure. Um, but with that, Mark, that wraps up our main questions. We're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll go into our five and five segment. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. You can use Stitcher Premium to listen to shows ad-free such as Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine the Lost Trail, or our favorite, The Fantasy Footballers. For only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, and comedy albums. Better yet, if you go over to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code lacrosse today, you can get one month free. So head on over to Stitcher, sign up, and get your free trial today. All right, so welcome back. Uh, now we're going to go into our 5-5 five and five segment. I'll start off with the lacrosse questions, Mark. Um, my first one I have is, what is a pregame superstition or routine that you had when you were playing? So my the biggest thing I would do is I would just – it was all about the routine. So I would get to the, the building at the exact same time. I would go through the exact same – I would go out there with uh, just helmet and gloves and shoot around a little bit, do a little bit of a dynamic, and then come in, listen to music, and then go out with the team. But um, – between like what I ate that day and how I warmed up and when I got to the building, everything was, was right on uh, on the same schedule, same routine. And then uh, number two, what has been your favorite venue to play at during your career? Um, I would say my favorite venue that I've ever played in was our home arena. I played two years in Philly. Um, back in the day, it was the first Union Center when I played there. I forget what it's called uh, now, but um, that place, I love playing in there. Awesome. And number three, what was your toughest matchup during your career? I mean, I'm sure there was a few, but who was one of the toughest guys to go up against? Yeah, I mean, that's such a hard question. I generally drew um, a pretty freaking pretty nasty defender um, (laughs) from, you know, Petro to uh, a guy named Reed Jackson who used to cover me. uh, He played at Rutgers and then was was my teammate on the 98 U.S. team. 
uh, kind of an unheralded guy, but Reed was great. And then I would say just probably the toughest matchup for me overall was probably Nicky Polanco. Mm -hmm. Um, Just too big, too strong, too fast. Um, I didn't have a lot of, you know, anything I tried to use, he was kind of up for the challenge. I couldn't use my body against him. He was just too big and strong. Uh, he was, he was so long and rangy that if I tried to use my quickness, he would, he would cover that ground pretty quick. So he's one of the best ever. And I would say he's probably my toughest matchup. Awesome. And then, uh, number four, one of our listeners, Jack underscore S one wants to know, what is your favorite drill for an attackman to practice? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I try to tell young kids all the time, like it's not about becoming a great shooter or a great passer or a great dodger. Like it's, it's really, you really got to have it all. I mean, if you want to be an elite player, you look at a a grand amen or Michael Sowers, they, they literally do it all. Um, I would say favorite overall drill would probably be shooting um, because as an attackman, you're going to need to shoot and the added benefit, uh, in, in addition to fundamentals is you're going to gain confidence as you shoot. Mm-hmm. So probably my favorite overall drill would be to just go out and shoot, shoot on the run. And then uh, number five, who was a player or coach you kind of leaned on as, uh, you know, was kind of a mentor to you during your pro career? Well, the coaching piece and uh, trying to think who that was, that might be, that might be a tough one. I'll tell you that the, probably the, the coach that was, I had I had a lot of good coaches. Probably mm-hmm. Tony Resch, who was my coach in uh, Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the couple of years I played on the wings, um, we won that championship we talked about before in 2001. He was our coach. He was very well prepared, um, and he was all about – one thing I thought was really cool, especially in a pro team, he was all about roles. Mm-hmm. And he wanted the guys to know their roles so that – you know, a guy who was who a defender, you don't want him going to take five shots in a game, you know. And a guy who's an offensive player, get off the floor and wait, you know, play offense. So he was probably the best. Yeah, no, that's great. And he's still doing great things, too, with uh, the Archers as their D coordinator. You know, they had the top defense in the PLL last season. So He's been doing pro lacrosse forever. I mean, actually, I remember now he, was, he helped out with the Bayhawks. Uh, I think the championship we won in 2002, maybe. He, he helped out with the defense. So he's been in, in the pro leagues for years. He's he's tremendous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and coached the Barrage. Adams, you know, obviously a big Philadelphia Barrage fan. Happy to see them back. He coached the Barrage, I believe, the two championships, right, Adam? Yep. Yeah, yep. So. And and multiple U.S. teams, too. So, um, But that wraps up our lacrosse questions. Uh, Adam, you want to take away the off-the-field questions? Yep, absolutely. First one up for you. Where is your favorite spot to go when you're back on Long Island? Favorite spot to go is um, down on the south shore of Long Island um, to the Robert Moses Beach. Um, it's an ocean beach, again, on the south shore, probably like 40 minutes from where I grew up. Um, number two, what are some hobbies or activities you have you enjoy doing when it's not uh, involved in lacrosse? So my um, when I since I'm not playing lacrosse anymore, mm-hmm. people try to get me to play, but I had my fill. <laughs> um, not in any real leagues, but in like the summer stuff. I have become super, super into golf. Okay. And I love golf because, quite honestly, it's so hard and it's such a challenge, and it takes such incredible focus. I know for most people they wouldn't understand that, but just listen to like you know Tiger Woods talk. Like if you take your mind off one shot and you're trying to shoot a good score, that one time you lose focus, you may sink it in the water and it costs you, and you make an eight, and your rounds kind of in trouble so i'm really into golf that's my kind of primary hobby 
Awesome. Now, that kind of leads into my next question. Uh, what's your favorite sport to watch that's not lacrosse? Is it golf right now, or, or is there another one you enjoy watching? And that's a great question, and that kind of leads back to where we started with this. Yeah. I grew up playing baseball, oh. and uh, I really loved playing baseball. And if it was if they were counter-seasonal with lacrosse, I would have played a lot of baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up uh, going not only playing baseball, but my dad used to take me and my brother to uh, Yankee games all the time. So I mm-hmm. am a huge Yankee fan. Uh, religious Yankee fan. There's, okay. you know, MLB plays 162 games. I tell yep. people all the time. I usually am somehow tied into 150 games, whether I'm watching it, listening to it, following it on uh, social media. I just love baseball. I love to watch it. That's awesome. So I'm sure you were pretty happy with the Garrett Cole signing then. I was ecstatic with the Garrett, <laughs> Garrett Cole signing, but then all of a sudden our top guy uh, blows out his elbow in yep. the first week of spring training. We're not the top guy, the second guy, Severino, sure. and then yeah. we got all kinds of injuries, and then who knows if we're going to be playing baseball this year. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to bring that one apart up. <laughs> Definitely a tough situation. I'm, I'm an Orioles fan, so I, I have a strong dislike for the Yankees. Uh, to be quite well, frank. being an Orioles fan right now, it's, it's going to be another. It's probably going to be five years, and hopefully yep. they can do what the Cubs did, which yeah. is stink so bad for so long that they can get five draft picks and save yeah. money and then five years from now they're going to be really really good but it's going to be a tough couple of years yeah no for sure and we kind of joke uh i actually my main job is with the mlb network and nhl network and we joke that uh hey now the orioles at least during all this uh they probably won't have as bad a losing season as they probably could if we had a full season so um <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the true. one the one uh good thing about all this but um yeah, no, definitely hoping that, you know, sports do start up. And, you know, again, it's so so much uncertainty right now. But, um, yeah, that's that, – I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> um, and kind of speaking of, of uh, being quarantined a little bit right now, uh, people are looking for a lot of outlets, whether it's podcasts, books, anything like that. Uh, what's a book on your bookshelf currently or maybe a podcast that you'd recommend to a teammate or friend at the moment? Oh, go back and read To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. I did that um, about uh, six six or eight weeks ago, and I uh, hadn't read it since whatever seventh eighth grade. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's not the fastest reading in the world, but it's it's pretty darn good. Um, and what I'm recommending to as many people who will listen is just uh, you know find something that'll. This is such a you know national tragedy, really, and yeah. um, you know just just don't come out on the other side you know heavier or weaker or just find something to latch on to, make yourself stronger, make yourself smarter, read more. Um, another thing me and my family are doing, we subscribe to Masterclass. Okay. And I don't know if you guys have heard about Masterclass, yeah. but um, that's really cool, and there's a lot of different classes. And so um, that would be the book I would say to go back and read if you're a little older and uh, and just try to do something to make yourself come out on the other side of this in, in a stronger way. That's awesome. Uh, and then the last of the off-the-field questions, uh, we like to eat on this podcast, so we're always curious, what's your favorite meal, and do you prefer to dine out, take out, or cook at home? So um, my favorite by far, by far, is mm-hmm. dining out at steakhouses. Okay. I mean, I love, I love the Ruth's Chris, the Morton's, the Capitol Grills, and my favorite meal at those places is just a standard New York strip. Mm-hmm. 
And all my buddies make fun of me. I get it with no butter because I can't stand when they drown it in butter and no char. Okay. No char. So no no blackening on it. So uh, New York Strip, no char, no butter. And uh, I just love the atmosphere in a good steakhouse. There we go. Yeah. Awesome. Are you a, a medium rare guy or medium? Medium. medium. Yeah. Most really good steak connoisseurs have it want it as rare as possible, but uh, not me. I'm just a, a medium guy. There we go. Well, that wraps up our five and five segment, Mark. This has been great. Uh, one piece of advice that we always, or one question we always like to end on is, what is some advice that you have for a young player looking to one day play lacrosse professionally? Yeah. So first of all, thank you guys. Um, it was a welcome. Uh, I, it's really fun to go down memory lane and talk about all this stuff. Sure. So thank you. And then advice is really you just got to embrace the fundamentals. Um, if you look at, like, any sport, if you look at a golfer, if you look at a Major League Baseball pitcher, if you look at a quarterback like Tom Brady, and you just look at the way they throw the ball or pitch the ball or swing the golf club or Steph Curry or LeBron, the way they shoot, every elite player has flawless fundamentals. And the more you can embrace fundamentals and technique – Every year you go by that you get bigger, stronger, faster, you're just going to keep getting better. Whereas, like, let's say you're 10, 12 years old and you're bigger than everybody and you're just barreling through people and you're not worrying about fundamentals at all. Um, every year that goes by, everyone's going to catch up to you. You're never going to get better. Mm-hmm. But if you're 8, 9, 10, 12 years old and you're focusing on fundamentals, every year you get bigger and stronger, you're just going to keep getting better. And I also tell, like, even the the medium, like, ninth graders and stuff, like, you can score on high school players um, with that bad technique. But if you want to be elite, you want to play in the pro league or in college, it's going to be all about fundamentals. So learn the fundamentals, embrace the fundamentals, and just work tirelessly at it. No, that's awesome. We we appreciate that advice, and I I think it's important, you know, like you said, for young listeners to to really take in and, um, you know, hone in on. Um, Mark, this has been great. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, we appreciate you too, what you're doing with offensive wizardry people, uh, you know, listeners definitely check that out. Um, and yeah, we just want to, want to thank you and wish you best of luck. Thanks again, guys. It was really enjoyable. I appreciate all like the research you did to get ready and stuff. So it was great. I enjoyed it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. You can use Stitcher Premium to listen to shows ad-free such as Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine the Lost Trail, or our favorite, The Fantasy Footballers. For only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, and comedy albums. Better yet, if you go over to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code lacrosse today, you can get one month free. So head on over to Stitcher, sign up, and get your free trial today.